designed with women in mind as we delve into what it means to be a true follower of Christ and how to navigate our daily lives, my prayer is simply that my speech will be theologically sound and that our words will be encouraging and life-giving. We will have different guests in the weeks to come and will be looking from various perspectives while staying ever true to God's Word. The title of the podcast is Beautiful Imperfection, As we go about our busy, chaotic lives, we tend to focus on the doing and not the being of who God created us to be. We sometimes get it backwards. In this podcast, we will discuss from week to week the being, our identity in Christ, produces the doing, and that the doing is an overflow of who we are in Him. We are imperfect in every way, but Jesus is perfect. The beauty in our imperfection is Him. So wherever you are in your season of life, if you're in your car, in your laundry room, or sitting in your favorite chair, grab a cup of coffee and take a deep breath. Relax and listen in as we look and talk about what being in Christ really means and how the Bible explains that it is not our imperfection that makes or breaks us, but that it is his perfection that covers us and that we can find rest in that promise. Then we serve him out of an abundance of love that only comes through him. Lean in with us. Here we go. I'm here with Lindsay Harris today. Lindsay, it's so good to have you today with me. And she is a co-laborer in the ministry and a friend. Lindsay, can you share a little about your passion? Sure. Well, I am a wife, um, a mother, and a lover of sweets. How about that? <laughs> That's great. Love sugar. Chocolate, no chocolate. <laughs> Both. Oh, chocolate and Just sugar, you name it. it. Okay, I will it. forego food for sugar. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. But from a ministry perspective, you know, um, I have had a passion, um, gosh, over the years, um, using my spiritual gifts for the welcome team at church, and just God led me through that um, welcome team to hear stories of people coming into this church and um, looking to get connected and um, get spiritually fed. And so God had pushed um, on my heart and through even discipleship with um, ladies that I had been um, doing that with in the 20s-year-olds um, class that Todd and I lead at church too, um, to start a women's discipleship class. So this has just recently been um moving in my life, but um, I know um, God is using um, all of that um, for his good and for his glory. Yeah, it's been great, and it's, I love seeing that grow and flourish, and and um, all women of all ages coming together, and yes. the older sharing with the younger, and the younger sharing with the older, and, yes. and everything in between, and I think that that's very biblical, but also just um, also very rewarding. Um, I think sometimes we think if we put the same ages together, then they can't, um, you know, identify. But I think that's totally not true. (laughs) I mean, some of those ladies could show us how to use a rotary phone. (laughs) Some kids don't even know there was a rotary phone in there. There's something to say where um, sometimes people have gone before you, and there's an encouragement in that um, because God uses that for his good. Right. So we're continuing today in the Beatitudes, and... um, we are all in pursuit of something and something that we count of great value. And whatever that is to us, whether it's 
even discipleship or the things that we are, are in our ministry, sometimes it's easy to get out of balance and uh, pursue our own personal freedom sometimes, believing that that will bring us happiness or that we all want to be happy and often on our own terms, right? So I think sometimes we can get out of uh, physical balance. And I'll just share a funny little story with you about that because um, <laughs> I can certainly do it. Um, you know, as we grow older, things work differently than they did before. Um, it's easier to lose your balance. Um, I can't run as fast if I can run at all. <laughs> My hand-eye coordination isn't as tuned as it once was. And one day I was wearing a backpack, and it was kind of heavy. I had books in it. I was going to to work on some stuff. And so there was something in the floor at my house, and I bent over to pick it up. And the momentum of that backpack took me places that I did not (laughs) want to go. (laughs) So, But the great thing about it was... There was nobody there to witness it but me and God. <laughs> so it Thanks was God. So I was so grateful for that. But it wasn't pretty. But it did make me think about the balance that we have. And just as we get out of balance in our physical lives, we can very quickly find ourselves losing our balance spiritually if we're not intentional about what it is that God has for us and that and what we value. Um, so what is it that you value? And we think about that, you know, and I think about the kids and we, you know, put kids in small group classes and then ask them questions. And what's always the answer? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. And they're right. Jesus is always the answer, but is it, is that truly our answer? If, if we're totally honest with ourselves and we say that lightly, then, we need to really think about what it is that God is saying to us and what it is that we need to look at in our own lives. Mm-hmm. So we all desire um, to leave behind the brokenness in this world. Yeah. yeah. So how do the Beatitudes speak to this? Well, as, as the Beatitudes uh, tells apart from God, I'm sorry, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. In the Beatitudes, um, apart from God and our relationship to him, we can't have happiness. Mm-hmm. So happiness and blessedness is impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, they are kind of like, the Beatitudes are kind of like a roadmap to living the Christian life, I guess. Mm-hmm. So when we pursue him with a broken spirit, and that's the Beatitude we're talking about today, we're emptied out of ourself and at the bottom of who we are, and we accept that our identity is defined by Jesus, then and only then can we experience the second half of the Beatitudes. So our moral values, the things that we believe will actually affect the outcome, is what we do and what we believe always affects the outcome, right? So it leads us to one direction or another, but, yeah. but also what we believe dictates our actions. Yes. So all throughout history, um, and it's nothing new, the problem is sin, and it leads to death. And the answer is Jesus. That's <laughs> and he right. leads to what and that leads to walking with him, which leads to the blessed life. Mm. So Lindsay, would you mind just reading the text for us today? Sure thing. Matthew five, one through twelve. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's break it down a little bit. And I don't mean break it down because I don't have any rhythm. (laughs) I have more spiritual rhythm maybe than physical rhythm, but my physical rhythm is like a rock. (laughs) So so what do the Beatitudes mean? Um, They are the fruit of understanding truth. Um, they are a way of life. Um, it's the being in Christ. And we talk a lot and we'll talk a lot about being who Christ intends us to be and, and that the doing comes from the being, but our identity is in Christ. So if we are emptied of ourselves, our self is gone and Christ fills that, then he becomes our identity. So we're looking at verse three today. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, So the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teachings of Jesus, but it's probably also the most misunderstood, wouldn't you think? Uh, Yes, absolutely. So this is Jesus telling his followers what he wanted them to be and do. Um, So being poor in spirit means knowing yourself, your abilities and shortcomings, and being honest with ourselves, that our natural desires are diametrically opposed to God's working in our lives. So, Lindsay, if we're talking about that and we look at the things of the world and sometimes we look at the things of the world and our culture and we we think that um, everything looks good on the outside and it looks like we're traveling the right way and we look at other people and we see that. And what what does that mean to you, though? What when we think about do our insides and our outsides match? No, <laughs> sometimes not. Right. Sometimes and majority not. of the times I think we, we actually can say that we need to evaluate ourselves on an ongoing basis. Every day we need to die to ourselves because we can all come to church and, um, you know, be put together and have it all together from the outside. Um, but looking in, Jesus knows our heart exactly, and, um, he can really be able to help us, um, really change ourselves, um, honestly, and, and be honest with ourselves and understand that he is the truth and the life for us. Exactly. And, and as the world looks at success, success in God's eyes can be very different in success in ours. But the thing that is so important to know is that we can do nothing to save ourselves. Mm -hmm. So as we're looking through the Beatitudes and, and talking about them, these are not things that tell you you do this so this will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be aware that each beatitude is a reversal of culture. Mm. It really is. It's not a cultural value. Um, the self-defiant person or wealthy person is at odds. And I don't mean wealthy. You know, people can have money and still live for Christ. But yeah. you, you know what I mean. The person who puts their their wealth ahead of it. The person who their work is ahead of it, a person who everything that they do in their life is ahead of what God has. And that is diametrically opposed to the economy of God. 
because he says to be poor in spirit means knowing that in myself I am bankrupt, mm. but in Christ I am rich. Yeah. It's all about the focus. Right. It's all about the focus. And it's a choice. It's a daily choice mm-hmm. to go back to. Yeah. Well, Pam, I know there's a very personal time in your life where you felt a spirit of brokenness. So would you share that with us? Yes, I'll be happy to. Um, about, I guess, maybe 11, 12 years ago now, um, I had been going through some physical issues and not sure what they were and had some things planned that were ministry-oriented that I was um, in charge of a, a group that was going to be working something at a, at a convention for the Southern Baptist and started feeling um, not well and mm-hmm. uh, went to the doctor and so they were looking at things, and some of the things that I had had done seemed to, to lead to the fact that I might have ovarian cancer, which I didn't have um, ovarian cancer, but um, there was a spot that they could not really find an ovary. So that was a concern. So we started looking there, and in the process of all that, um, had the mammogram and the whole thing, all the things that us girls love doing. <laughs> Everybody wants to go have themselves mashed between two no, hard plates. No, no, no. But um, so during that time, they did. They found a spot on um, one of my breasts that uh, was very suspicious. Mm. And so I'd gotten a call back and said, you know, Pam, can you come back in? I need you to come in. We need to repeat this and look at it. And, and it's still... You know, something didn't look right, so through a process of they did CT scan, scans and different things, um, and then um, came to find out that I needed to have a biopsy. Mm-hmm. Well, it was called a real cool name. It sounded like a party. It was called Stereotypical Biopsy, and I thought, wow, that sounds fun, but it's not a party that you want to host, and it's not a party that you want to invite anybody to. So um, it was very um, strategic and um even though they try to calm the pain, very painful. Um, so it had that done and just a few, and, and really had planned an appointment in advance after that just to talk about. Okay. So um, then the doctor calls me and I'm, I'm here at the, the office. And what were you feeling during that time? Like that moment in time where you just, there's the unknown that you. You know, it's really funny because I'm kind next. of the, I'm not an alarmist at all, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was just like thinking, oh, it's just another thing that's not going to turn into anything. I just want to be over. And when I was younger, I'd had another biopsy that was benign, Mm -hmm. but this was different. This looked different, and but I still was just, I guess, maybe in denial. I don't know. Just didn't want to think about it. Just thought, well, I'll just go to the next appointment. It'll be fine. Um, But then I got a phone call that I don't normally get. You don't get a phone call from your doctor every day. <laughs> so the Not phone the rang. Blue. Yeah, phone rang. I answered it. It was my doctor. And he said, um, I called you because I'm out of town and I wouldn't normally tell you this without being in person, but you have cancer. Mm. So I have breast cancer and he said, you have an appointment today at Florida Radiology at 2 o'clock. Just don't, didn't want you to miss that. So I wanted to make sure I called you, that you kept the appointment, that you go. And so I remember walking. I, I tried to call Dwayne immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going with me to the appointment anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but then couldn't get in touch with him. I think he was counseling with someone. So I told his assistant at the time that 
I needed, you know, to make sure that he was ready to go like at one in the parking lot and that kind of thing. So as we were going, I just remember telling him that I already knew uh, and that it was positive. And so we kind of just rode for that 40, 45 minutes down to Princeton. It just like in silence almost. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do you say? What do you do? That's when the emotions in me started churning, wondering what was going to happen next. You know, what do we do now? What decisions do we have to make? And so there's just a bombardment of those things because the minute you get there, you're assigned to um, a cancer um, specialist who helps you make decisions, basically. So they help you set up all your appointments and those kinds of things. And you end up with like a whole football team of doctors and you feel like you don't have a quarterback sometimes, but... But um, so I, I literally called my doctor after all that, said, I, I do need a quarterback because <laughs> I don't know exactly. Um, so through a lot of prayer and thinking about things and the, the type of cancer I had was estrogen positive. It was um, invasive um, um, inductal car- carcinoma. And so what that does is that it means that it left the place that it started started in, it was ductal carcinoma, so it started in a, in a milk duct. Mm. Um, I guess I hadn't used those for a really long time. <laughs> My kids were older, so I don't know. They just got tired yeah. and clogged up. I don't know. <laughs> so um, so that was the beginning of a very arginist um, process that um, you have to decide what kind of surgery you're going to have. What are your, what are your odds of, if you're statistically better off to do a lumpectomy if you're statistically better off to do um, um, a mastectomy um, (laughs) mastectomy I can't even (laughs) talk so anyway that is um, something that we had to make a choice on Um, and then they found something in the the other side that was um, suspicious and had a different kind of biopsy on that because it was deeper it wasn't Mm. the same type um, it was an MRI um, that you go in and out of, so they find exactly where the place is, and they'll take a little bit, and if they can't pinpoint it, they put you back in, and it was wow. just that kind of thing. Well, funny thing about that was I had had a really bad cough leading up to it, and they normally won't do MRIs if you have stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I tried. I didn't tell them, so I had friends praying, just pray that I don't cough on there because then they won't do it, and then it's gonna the process is going to be moved again and this whole thing. So um, the um, the nurse was asking me about me. I said, well, I have had a little bit of a cough, but I'm fine. I think I can handle it. You know, I'm not sick or anything. And I said, besides, if I cough, I might lose a breast. <laughs> oh, well, right? I'm like, well, I'm about to anyway. It's okay. So what's the difference? So, um, so anyway, um, throughout the process, um, the decision was made that I did need to do a bilateral mastectomy, which took both both sides. Mm. Um, and, and that is, um, is that emotional as a woman? It is. And then two, two months later, yeah, I had to have the, um, a radical hysterectomy because Mm. of the stuff that was, now all that was benign, but it still took every part of me that the world says is a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also messed up my hormones really bad. (laughs) It was like, I got thrown in the fire immediately, but um, but throughout that process, um, all the medications, all the things that you go through, I felt very broken. I, I began to, um, feel 
physically, emotionally, mentally, and and I that I couldn't do the spiritual things that I wanted to do. I mean, it was just so overwhelming, over-encompassing, not that I thought that way or felt that way. There were some days that I honestly felt that way. I could not comprehend what the Bible said, and I didn't care. I was just like, I don't know, God. I feel like my world is just um, evaporating in front of my eyes. There was no way that I couldn't lift myself. I went home with drains, all those things that they don't tell you. You couldn't, I couldn't sleep in the bed for weeks because I couldn't pick myself up because when they cut all that away, it went to my chest bone. And so the, um, implants then go under your pectoral muscles. So I have some really good man pectoral muscles. Well, <laughs> but, you're strong. Yeah. So anyway, um, throughout that process, I be- it was very dark. I felt very broken. I knew that God was still with me. I knew that he would never leave me. But I remember one night in particular just sitting. I was um, in the recliner and um really began to, I could, would be in and out of sleep because the medications were very rough, but um, I remember a night where I literally felt like Satan and demons were just flying around over my head, like, you know, this is going to beat you, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. but I could visually see the darkness, uh, and I had never had, I'd never experienced that before, so I didn't know really the first, the only thing I could think to do was just say Jesus. And so I just kept saying Jesus because that was the thing that was helping. And before long, all of it was becoming clearer. Mm. But so in those moments that I, throughout the process, did not know what to do because I really didn't know what to do sometimes. I remember the first time I walked into the cancer center, you just kind of like, I, I don't, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it today. But, um, Obviously, God worked miraculously in my life, and what I would say to that is I went through all the difficulty. I went through all the hardships. I went through um, losing parts of my body that the world would say made you a woman, and Mm -hmm. also I'll say it is like an amputation, Um, so it's kind of funny because on the way home, I, they don't tell you these things, but I itched like things were still there. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to call them. I told them when I get home, I'm going to call them and tell them wherever they put all that junk, they need to scratch it <laughs> because I'm itching and I can't find where it is because your nerves are all moved around. So anyway, you can scratch somewhere. That's not really where it itches. But um, so also you have to decide what you're going to do next. Yes. Uh, and that's really hard. And they show you pictures you don't want to see. You feel like you're looking at cancer porn. And I don't like that. And it was yeah. just a lot of things. Um, but through all of that, in my darkest days where I felt like I was broken in spirit, mm-hmm. um, not that I ever lost Christ or, but not just not physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually being able to, um, grasp that in my life um was that um you know he he is always there he's always working when we don't even see it and and when we don't understand it and so the only thing that I could say to anyone who's going through that and what I God said to me was go back to the basics of Christian mechanics and what I mean by that is when you feel like there is nothing you can do nothing else you can do 
you are out of spiritual balance, you're also out of physical balance, God says, read my word, pray, and I listen to a lot of worship music and just Mm -hmm. allow that to permeate my home and my heart. And that's such a good story. And, you know, I know some listeners sometimes don't have the opportunity, um, nor do they have a story in their life that they can come out of. Um, Sometimes it is death um, that uh, we do deal with. Um, What would you say to our listeners that, um, you know, sometimes we have the opportunity to move on and we have this wonderful, beautiful testimony, but other times the the same story is is also a testimony um, and a beautiful thing God is is working on. Right. And I think the the part of that, the answer to that would be the focus um, because God heals. Sometimes he heals people on earth, but he heals people also in heaven. Um, he uses doctors with medication to try to heal, and but he also uses the time that, you know, it's just time for some people. And I don't understand why and why not. And I know we don't all understand that, but that's where faith comes into. Mm. Um, and that can change your life when you think about, um, is he the king or not? Um, does he know what he's doing or not? Are we going to trust what he says or not? Mm. And I think that is where faith does come in. And the blessed life comes through our relationship to God. Um, so in that relationship, we can have what he talks about in the Beatitudes because of who he is and not who we are. So this is a good place to stop for today. And we'll pick up next week with verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you have gleaned something of value that will help you in your day-to-day lives and draw you closer to living fully in who God designed you to be. Until next time, you are beautiful in His sight. If you've been thinking and listening to us and wondering, how can this become a reality in my life? How How can my identity be in Christ? and you've never received him, I'd like to give you the opportunity to do that right now by praying the sinner's prayer. It's a very simple prayer, and it goes like this. Lord, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me for everything that I've done and help me to walk with you as I follow you in my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to connect with you and help you as you start your life in Christ. Please visit thebestnews.org.